You're listening to The Sonia Dunn Show. I'm your host, Sonia Dunn. Our guest today is Chief Financial Officer Shannon Nash. Shannon's professional journey has been filled with life-altering decisions. Living overseas, motherhood, raising a neurodivergent child, and major career changes. Through her faith and resilient mindset, she has persevered along her unexpected path in life. Shannon shares her story and insight on being a career-driven woman, raising and nurturing a family of three sons, including one on the autism spectrum, from infancy to adulthood. Today on The Sonia Dunn Show. First question, can you give me your full name and what you do for a living? Uh, Full name is Shannon Nash. And um, for a living, I am the chief financial officer of Wing, which is a drone delivery company. We are Alphabet or Google's drone delivery company. You are a mother, correct? I, I am a mother. I have three boys. Oh, wow. Three sons. I have three sons. Three sons. I know. As far as I have to keep saying, they're not boys. I, I try to say guys now because they're adults. Right. So I try to say right. guys exactly. instead of boys. Yes. Exactly. All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. When you were younger, I'm sure you thought about having a family and all that good stuff. Is it everything you, you thought it was going to be? at this stage in your life? Oh, no way. Yeah, no way. Like, I guess when I, when I was younger and thought about like what being a parent would be and a mom would be, um, I don't think I could have imagined in a good way, but I don't think I could have imagined um, motherhood, um, especially motherhood to like multiple um, kids. I'm at a, I'm at a point in life where two of them are adults. That's a different type of motherhood when, you know, your, your adult child and you are able to, you know, he can drive you places and have quite interesting adult conversations. I don't think I ever had any, um, it's not like I dreamed about or even thought about it. I think I, I just, I knew I was going to be a mother. I'm surprised that I have three kids. I think when I look back on it, cause I knew I wanted a career and you know, things are, times are definitely different than 25 years ago when I was having a child. Yes. But I think maybe I was thinking like one kid type of thing. Right. Um, so, so yes, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised as to how this turned out. <laughs> so where did you grow up as far as, as far as your youth? I grew up in the Washington DC area on the Virginia, they call it the DMV. I grew up yeah. on the Virginia side. So yeah, right outside of DC, Fairfax County. Very good, very good. So were you more Lorton, Manassas? I... Not that far. No, more um, Arlington, Annandale, Alexandria, all the A's. Yeah, I've lived, uh, I've lived in all the A's. A's. The triple A's. Yeah. Uh, so then you you um, said, okay, because yeah, that's very metropolitan. So you probably was very career oriented off the bat, just being in a metropolitan area. What did you decide? Is, is your career currently what you went to college for? Yes and no. How's that for an answer? Um, I went to college. So I grew, I grew, like I said, I grew up in Fairfax County. Um, so went to high school there, et cetera went to the University of Virginia, which is in Charlottesville, and was a, I majored in accounting, 
but I really wanted to go to law school. So it was kind of one of those things where you had to pick a major in undergrad and business was interesting to me. I'd had an accounting class in high school and I was good at it. So I thought, why not that? Um, and decided to major in it uh, again in college, not because I feel like I loved it. It just seemed like a good way to go to law school and not yeah. be like everybody else who was like a poli sci major. Yeah. And along the way, I met a professor, um, Professor Hunt. He's deceased now, but I, I, I do, um, you know, teachers can and professors can really change the trajectory of your lives. Mm-hmm. I still know his son and I've told his son this publicly that his son really, I, t- I say your father changed a lot for um, several of us because he believed in us um, in college and said, you all should be CPAs and I'm going to help you. And I didn't even really understand for real what a CPA was. I just knew that here was somebody who really thought I was smart, believed in me and was like, and I'm going to help you. And so he did. And there was a, a bunch of us who studied with him for quite a long period of time, six months. And I mean, in college, that's like a eternity, right? Yes, yes. Um, but we all passed the CPA exam on the first try. I mean, I was, oh gosh, I was 21 years old. Wow. Like, that's just crazy. Um, I still went to law school. I went to law school at the University of Virginia. And then I started understanding how I could combine the two into like a career. And so I thought I would practice law. I thought I'd be at big law firms or maybe a big accounting firm doing tax, corporate law, and that would just be life. But at some point I got, um, started working and realized I didn't really like it. Like I didn't like practicing law a lot. But what I did like is once I um, left law firms and went to a corporation, I did like helping businesses like run and be better and, and kind of that whole deciding of like, how does the business scale its market? Like I did like that part of it. And so thankfully I had that finance and CPA background to fall upon to kind of change my career trajectory to where I'm now a CFO. Um, Because, you know, had I not done that, had I not had that professor believed in me, I think it would have been a lot harder for me to go from law to finance in that way. Isn't it amazing how when you have someone who believes in you and, and on top of that mentors you can change your life in so many different directions. It's all about the, so many things about being successful in life is all about um, the supporters that you had that got you to the next level. And from that professor, so I had a, a supporter by the name of Larry Bailey, who was one of like the first African-American um, tax partners at like a major accounting firm. He absolutely believed in me and kind of helped me with my career trajectory all the way to Ms. Debbie Allen, where we should talk about how I even got to work for Debbie Allen because autism has a lot to do with why that was even an opportunity in my life and, and how she helped me think about being an executive and having leadership presence um, and really selling your business and yourself. Um, I got that from Miss Allen. And again, had I really believe that all these things happen for a reason. So, you know, we'll get into it, I guess. But the, right. yes, my yeah. son getting diagnosed led to all kinds of other things that I couldn't have planned because I should have been practicing law in DC, 2.5 kids with a Volvo and a picket fence. 
that was the dream so I guess you met your spouse at college or after college in career no we we met we went to the same high school oh. so I've known him forever so we were, obviously we didn't get sweethearts. we did we dated we went to the proms and all the things we were very serious <laughs> in um we were serious in high school um and then we had breakups <laughs> along the way of college and graduate school that definitely happened and then we found each other again after grad school yeah yeah and then i guess you said well since since our lives have come back together let's make this official have the 2.5 yeah it ended up to being three so <laughs> well right away he right away he ruined that dream that i had because he had gone to the naval academy and he was a submarine officer yeah. so we had to move from dc yeah oh, okay so kindred spirits there because my my husband's air force went to the air force academy um so I, I i get that um as far as when you when you choose love over um career you gotta pivot so then um i guess you guys moved around i guess you guys found your way to we the west coast evidently we did we moved around we lived we lived several places but we did we moved around a bit and then eventually uh my husband's name is bill he got out of the navy and we both wound up getting jobs at um a biotechnology company called amgen which is um in the suburbs of los angeles so that's okay. how we made our way to the west coast okay and then I, I guess the West Coast has been home ever since, correct? Um, off and on, uh, mm -hmm. because once he left the Navy, I, I didn't say that, you know, because he, he he grew up moving around. His parents were Coast Guard, like his stepfather was Coast Guard Academy. So he's kind of, you know, his mother was like a jag in the Coast Guard. Like he was used to that life. I wasn't, <laughs> but he was. And so we uh, we lived overseas with Amgen. We lived in Switzerland. My 19 year old was even born there um he came back he got another kind of corporate job we lived in atlanta for a while and then finally we got back to the west coast of san francisco and that's probably where my kids will call home that's where they have all or will all graduate from high school and i think that's kind of where you call your home right so the bay area is where we will claim as the the family home i understand that i moved 15 times um wow in 30 years of marriage so yeah i get that totally get that so you have a kid on the spectrum um is that child number one two or three child number one child number one okay so with the moving around um in your first child did you see the signs right away or did you were like yeah yeah, he got diagnosed. We were um, stationed at the Naval Academy when he got diagnosed and he was very young. He was like two, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah. So, so we kind of knew, my husband actually even knew even before I did it, it, it probably took me three to four months to come to grip, grips with it. I wasn't really ready to admit that that's what was going on, but my husband was like on it, like from the beginning. And then once I kind of came to grips with it, I was like, all right, yeah. let, let's let's figure this this out. And I'll say, I think we were fortunate that we moved for the most part to places that had, and that and that actually went into our, our uh, calculus of moves. We moved to places that had 
good services. And especially, you know, you, you, you can go back as well. We're talking early 2000s. So mm -hmm. there yeah. aren't a ton of places. There's, you know, there's some places that are much better than others. And I will say that I think that we tended to live in the places that had more cutting edge therapies and support from school districts and things of that nature. And I think that was very helpful. Um, even overseas. even when we moved overseas. Wow. Yeah, we went to, yeah. He, he went to an international school in Switzerland. And um, a lot of the, because it's an international school, um, they had a lot of really good um, teachers and they had a whole bunch of teachers from the UK who um, were really well versed in kids having IEPs. So we got very fortunate yeah. in that situation. During yeah. the, that era, UK was as far as the leader during that time. Yes. He was the leader. Correct. In education for special needs. So yeah. Yeah. So did you, some parents go through a grieving process of what they thought their kid was going to be and then embracing the, 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 the new rebirth of what your kid is going, will be. Did you go through that process? Yes, absolutely. I think I did. I think some of my relatives did. Uh, my father's deceased. I know he did because this was the first he only had me and my sister and this was like the first grandchild and it was a boy and he was so happy dreaming about all his first like his first yeah. game his first this that yeah. just didn't materialize that being said what I will say is I think that um you know once we figured it out we spent a whole bunch of time trying to figure out how to help him like it the the grief got overtaken by like how do you help and here here's the other thing that I, I don't think I've even really talked about this publicly because it took a while for it to manifest and that's this when you have multiple kids my kids are all basically almost five years apart and what I will say is that I I now looking back find that uh what I did was I took some of those dreams and then tried to manifest them on another kid, which wasn't fair to that second kid. Correct. And it's only as that kid got older and now he is an adult where I've been able to realize um, that that was my, that's, that's, that was a problem of mine that I had to deal with yeah. um, because that kid had just a whole bunch of unrealistic expectations put on him because it's like, well, your brother can't, so you have to like do it for everybody. Right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. Hard yeah. Put that yeah. on a kid. Yeah. As far as we have four all together, we have two on the spectrum. So we in as far as we have four, as far as two girls, two boys. The boys have autism, um, and then our girls are on the bookend, oldest and youngest in between. So I, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. And my my husband's uh the only son of an only son, so those, those um family dynamics in regards to that as well so yeah I I, I totally get yeah. that you said you you and your husband were kind of on a, a different page at first was there ever a time where you kind of got off page but found your way back on page in regards to raising the kids because it's different raising a, a a typical child to an atypical child so to speak yeah, no, I, I will say I feel very fortunate in that way. I, I think the times where we were not on the same page were very, it was very short. Like it was not a long period of time. It was, I mean, a couple months at the most. 
And then after that, we were just both very aligned. And, and you know, you've been um, kind of in this world. I've met a ton of parents and families, probably just like you, because we all go to the same therapies and things of that nature. And it is kind of, you know, unscientific here, but it's kind of like the 50-50 shot. Like half of the people I know, it kind of brings those parents like super close and yeah. half, like they're completely apart. And, you know, I'm sure there's stats out there that talk about divorce rates and et cetera. And, you know, wouldn't surprise me. It's a difficult thing for a couple to have to do. It's a difficult thing for a couple to have to do when they're young in particular and don't already have things established in their lives. I mean, you know, I had him in my late twenties. I was the first kid. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things where you, you feel very fortunate that you're able to like make it through that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what about mom, the career woman? Did it affect you? Did you throttle back a little? Did you, did the mom mode kick in for a while? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the times in my career where, so I, 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 you know, I started this career being very driven, CPA, a lawyer. I went to good schools, great contacts, working at great places, sky is the limit. And when there were times where um, just having to deal with all of his medical issues and therapies was really distracting for a career. Um, And there were points where I wondered would I even be able to continue to have a career. And when I I made a career shift and I left working at um, big organizations and had to find something a job or a consulting or something that was probably just one of as the an outlet yeah just as an outlet for you just to have an outlet from it yeah. yes yeah just to have something else to do yes. those are probably the, the lowest um points because I kind of felt like I have failed I have failed the girl who had the dreams yes and who thought she could accomplish I had completely failed but um what a blessing because some of the people I met during that time, um, the ability, I think about, besides Mrs. Allen, uh, I think about the women that I, I met who are some of my best friends to this day, the movie that we made, that we took to Cannes, as you know, and yes. one at the American Pavilion, like all of those blessings had to happen in the way that they had to happen. And that meant that I had to do a different career path. I had to change my career path to even have those blessings, to even get to the next job, to even get to where I am today. At the time though, that didn't, that fork in the road seemed like it was a disaster, right? It seemed fairly depressing. Um, When I look back on it, those were some low days and low nights. And just, I, you know, I never thought that I would be where I am today. But man, did I learn some amazing lessons in life because of it. Yeah, yeah. So because of the pivot to choose family, I know, I know, especially females and mothers who are career-oriented, sometimes that feels like a death sentence. You know, you're 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 walking to the gallows of of the female career woman you wanted to be. But but it always seems to 
work out for your betterment when you, when you make that choice because it, it opens new opportunities and possibilities. And it seems like one of those was Debbie Allen and, and how, how did that pivot bring you into her sphere? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, a really good friend of mine, Tanya Gregg, uh, who lives in LA, um, said, you got to get out more. You got to meet more people. You got to, <laughs> you just got to, you just got to sell yourself. And I was like, oh, I've been in corporate for so long. I don't even know if I want to do all of this. But it, it happened at, she invited me to a dinner party at her parents' house. And Debbie's husband was there. And he happened to be looking for somebody to work with his wife and her company. Um, they were going through, they wanted somebody with the finance background. They were talking about audits and all these type of things. And my friend Tanya was like, Shannon's perfect for you. And at the time, you know, I, I thought, am I really perfect for this? This is totally, this is like a startup in many respects. Like, <laughs> I don't, I've only been in big organizations. I don't know if I'm good at that type of thing. But I will tell you that the thing that um, helped me after I met with Norm Nixon and then I met with Debbie, the thing that um, told me to just step out on that faith and try is that they both passionately asked a lot about Jason and my family. Like they cared about my son. Like Debbie's whole thing was, I don't care if you bring him to work. I don't care if you go to therapy, just get my stuff done. Like, I don't care about like you being here from nine to five. Like none of that is important to me. This is not that type of job. Results are this type of job. That's all that matters. And she put a lot of faith in me being able to raise money, op operate the business, like all of the things that, yeah. you know, were needed. She put a lot of faith into me. So I felt very um, responsible not to fail her because also she was giving me a chance to also focus on my my family. At this point, we have two kids, one on the spectrum with a lot of therapies, one who's a baby. And that's what I will say is that, you know, they, they built an organization that was like family oriented. And that was probably my first time in life where I had worked in a setting where people actually really cared about like your family, like for real, not right. just like to say it for, you know, purposes of, of, uh, a job HR. placement ad or something or HR. HR. <laughs> And it changed a lot. It changed a lot because, th because then I, I really wanted to do, it was personal, the job I wanted to do in a way that it hadn't been before. Um, and then I learned a lot from her because ultimately she's one of those people where, yeah, she is, you know, award-winning and all the accolades and et cetera. But she actually taught me how she owns businesses and how it's like what she does behind the camera and behind the scenes of that she produces that really is making the impact. Um, not only does that make an impact financially, but it makes an impact, you know, in, in an industry. Yeah. She's the one that taught me that. She's the one that taught me how you could actually, you know, get a crowd and, uh, to how you move a crowd with just, you know, your presence. It's not the, the fact that you have good technical skills. It's like, what are those soft skills? She taught me a lot about that. We, I remember at, at, um, at her place, a, a lot of us took, she had like, they, we took an improv class, which at the time I was like, what, I went to law school for this? Like, why would I do that? <laughs> but what a blessing to have to, to do something like that because it really helped me understand like a, a big part of like being a successful executive is actually getting people to believe in like 
you and your mission and your strategy. Yeah. And improv helps you do that for sure. So, so those were like blessings that I could not have known I was getting at the time. Um, but certainly they have, they changed the trajectory of my life for sure. So how long did it take you to find that harmony again between family and career? Yeah, I think by, I would say, you know, it took me a good kind of four or five years to really, I had to make a pivot, I had to change the career, then I had to start moving up again in the career path. I think it was like a good four or five year, like, pivot that then it was like oh this pathway is clear now I okay. want to be a CSO and these are all the other things I'm going to do to get there so was your youngest in elementary school by then so I had um when I would think about it let me let me do the math no I, I our youngest child so at this point with three kids one thing is for sure I never had um two kids in diapers at the same time which was great when they were little. Now that two are out the house, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still in high school. <laughs> still got a kid in high school. Like I'm perpetually in high school. <laughs> so long. Um, but when they were little, it was great. So I had, so Jason, the oldest one at that point was um, like middle school. Okay. And then I had one um in elementary and one like in preschool got it got it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you saw your plan you you saw yeah. you saw how everything will progress along from here when did you pivot back to finance no that's what i'm saying is that i started making that pivot once I left Amgen is really when I started making that pivot. I started okay. working for Debbie helped me not only do finance, but actually become an operations leader. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so then I started kind of getting roles that were like finance and ops together. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of how that, that happened. And then really by the time we moved back to the Bay Area, I was full um, blown like finance. I had basically um, pivoted and recreated my career trajectory by that point. No longer were people looking at me um, as a lawyer or as a, you know what I mean, uh, for yeah. jobs in that way. You were in operations. So is Wings your first CFO or have you done other um, CFO positions before Wings? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went from, um, uh, I wound up joining uh, or, or an organization um, that owns uh, a publicly traded company that owns big, uh, lots of radio stations, became a VP of finance. And so really got more training exposure in terms of being at a big company, running the finance team, running the operations team, um, doing, you know, consolidating the books, um, yeah. accounts payable, you name it, accounts payable, yeah. everything. HR reported to me. And yeah. from there, um, after doing that, I went to a privately held company as CFO and interim COO. So that was my first big time kind of uh, position at that level, coming off of the public company um, role where I was, you know, a VP of finance. Then I got another role after that as a chief accounting officer of a, 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 a software company, then eventually become a CFO there. And then Wing is now my third CFO gig. So what do you like more operations, accounting or finance? 
Um, I think I think at the point now, most CFOs um, have to do a little bit of both, um, especially with the way that technology is working today. Um, CFOs have to be strategic. They have to see around corners. They have to understand operations. They have to understand the sales cycle. Yeah. Um, that's all table stakes. The the accounting side of it, which is um, a big part of that, is being able to close the books, record what happened historically. Um, is in many respects turning into the not the main point of the CFO's job. This, yes, that reports to the CFO, but it's like, okay, what do you do with that information from the past? Yes. And how do you help us, you know, from a, a going forward perspective, do something with all of that data? Um, data being actually really good about um, not only um, mining data, but um, taking that data and using that to forecast the future for the company, another big part of the CFO's role. So all of the experiences I had in the past all kind of culminated and came back to, together. And, and so it's, it's one of those things where it's like the CFO of the future, CFO of today is really more of a, a, a strategist slash salesperson slash operations, you know, all in one. So that, that foundation with Debbie Allen's company is coming back full circle to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what does a typical day look like for you working and family-wise now? Well, it's different now because the, the, my sons are adults for the most part. So it's opened up a lot of the, I don't know if you would call it free time, no longer you know, at one point we're running to the older one has his therapies or his activities. And then the younger one has his sports and then the baby has his sports. And like, and you were like, there's two parents, like divide yeah. and conquer and the village helps you with pickups and, you know, you just make it work. Weekends were spent totally devoted to everybody's activities all day. Um, two of my kids, including my son with autism, they don't live with us anymore. So it's very different to come home to a house with a, a 15 year old teenage boy, which I got to tell you is like coming home to a house by yourself. Because <laughs> <laughs> not much conversation going on at 15. Hey, mom. Bye, mom. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What? <laughs> All right. That's about it. <laughs> all like, I got going on. like use your words <laughs> yes, yeah, we don't have very many words <laughs> and in a minute like this that kid will be driving so it'll even be more so yeah. so the, so I will tell you that you know even for my husband both of us have you know fairly demanding jobs it is definitely a season in life where we can put a lot of time into like us and careers more yeah. so than like the kids because they are off kind of doing yeah. their own thing yeah so your son on the spectrum is he considered high functioning since he's living on his yeah. own or, or he's living in a group home he lives in a group home he's high functioning enough to um you know he's before the pandemic he's had jobs he can you know take care of himself in terms of basic you know hygiene and all that type of stuff right. um he can feed himself basic stuff in the group home he, he lives in now um he helps with prepping the food and all that type of stuff so he can do yeah. those those type of things he's um you know i feel very fortunate that um our kids yours and mine have grown up in a technology world in this regard he um is able to communicate with us 
in such a deep way on text message in a way that he cannot do face-to-face at all. And so it's unlocked a whole conversation that um, I guess he's been ready to have with us forever, but we didn't give him the tools to be able to do it, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, You know, when they do a sense of technology, if your kid has some verbalization, that's kind of like put to the side unless they're totally nonverbal. But yeah, as far as Alexa and all of those types of apps and the apps today that support the ASD community has really opened the door for better communication. So yeah. Absolutely. He's had some text, we've had some text message exchanges <laughs> that are hilarious where it's like, I'm telling him, this is before he moved out, he can't do something. And he was like giving me a whole rat, like a list of reasons why he should be able to do it. <laughs> and I was just like, me and my husband were laughing because some of the rationales were like, and this is what normal high school kids do anyway, mom. And I was like, <laughs> where is this language coming from? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's like, uh, okay. Um, right. He has a lot to say. Oh, so. A lot, a lot. <laughs> we're running out of time, Shannon. Um, um, uh, we're running out of time because I know your time is is precious as well. So let's let. I want to get to some thoughts that you might have for the community as a mother of someone who has ASD. What are some key takeaways that you want to share from your life that you want to give to other other mothers, just mothers as a whole? Yeah, I mean, to other mothers, when I think about um, my son um, on the spectrum and just the gift that he has given me, when I think about, um, like he's expanded our world in terms of just, um, besides just the people have come in our lives, how we even think about problems. Um, I often say there are times where I'll be very whatever bothered by something at work or wherever and then I take a step back and I'm like (laughs) what would Jason do right now because he would actually be very happy because he's in in general a very happy person and he would like let this roll off of his shoulders like that lesson of like just how he doesn't take a whole bunch of stuff super serious is you know I I it it inspires me he inspires me right in ways that I just never would have expected um that i as a mom would learn that lesson from him but i've learned a lot of lessons from him and and here's the thing um you know as as a mom i just want to protect him but a really good friend of mine who has a a brother who's on the spectrum but is much older was diagnosed in the 70s you know, she gave me and my husband some good advice. She said, the best present you could probably do is to l- let your son kind of leave you guys and try to figure out his way while you're both still alive in good health and can swoop in and help. The worst thing you want to do, in her, her advice, was keep him home and super, super close and then you guys get to be name it 70 or 80 and the first time he's had to be without you is in his 50s or 60s you don't want to be in that situation and she is so right and as hard it is as it's been for us to let him go 
And yes, there has, it hasn't been perfect and there's been all kinds of mishaps and we've had to take phones away and all kinds of stuff because the freedom was a little too much at the group home. Um, man, I'm glad we're going through it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our two sons have their first apartment now. We um, have a company that supports their independent living. Yeah, and trying to give them those those avenues to have independence the best way they can. So I, I totally agree with that. Totally. You you guys can still help. Yes. In a way, it's just it's tragic. Yeah, right. They they have to be, and you know, routines and things are important. So yeah. Um, I mean, we're going on two years. Yeah. Oh. Well, I said, uh, six months for us. <laughs> but yeah, we're slowly, slowly getting there. Slowly Hang getting in there. Slowly, slowly getting in there. there. All right. So is that what you would give, the advice you would give to parents of transitioning adult ASD individuals and neurodivergent? I would. I, I, I would. I would. I would say that, you know, look, the future is scary. Yes. But, but you got to deal with, I think you, you got to deal with the future, like now while they are transitioning, you got to go through all that drama now while they are transitioning. So that the hope is that because we do know in general, this will probably take a while for these, these kids, these young adults, you want to start as early as you can so that by the time they're 30, 40, et cetera, you know, this is not, this is fine for them. That's right. one of the things where, you know, back in the day, there was even this whole thing about, well, they might not have a long life expectancy. Well, joke is on all the doctors who said that because they are living long, normal lives. Yes, 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 yes. And, and they have the same urges as everybody else. Joke is on, on those doctors too. They want to be loved. They want to have intimacy. Yes, you got to deal with all that. Yes, yeah. Period. Yeah brand dynamics and all that good stuff and just just like with any other kids you know oh I don't know about that friend mm. <laughs> you know they're taking advantage right. of you. you can't say you want them to right. try to figure it out themselves that the, you, you know have to. yeah 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 um what about parents who have preschool elementary kids because now you can give hindsight yeah in regards to that i i i the my hindsight is follow your gut and your instincts if whether it be a doctor or educator or whomever if it is not what you think is the right treatment or help or support for your child get another opinion and another opinion do not stop because what you're trying to do is change an outcome and you have a very limited time to do that in terms of you know, how long it takes for like the brain, like the, you know, the brain yeah. to really like, you know, be kind of fully developed. You have a, it's a small amount of time. Yes. And so time is not on your side. You cannot, I remember the first doctor we went to said to me and my husband, oh, your son is just developing slowly because he's a boy. I think you're overreacting for your first child. And my husband definitely didn't believe that. And we went to another doctor and another doctor and lo and behold, got him diagnosed. Um, and had we waited and just kept waiting until five or six or seven, I think it, you know, I think our outcomes would have been different. I yeah. really fully believe that. Yeah. All right. Middle school, high school, 
and prep for adults. So what advice would you give parents for middle school, high school? Because you know, for guys, it's the puberty thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But also transitioning to adult services. What what yeah. that middle ground for middle school, high school parents of, of special needs that you know still so, and all that that you would give. Yeah. So middle school and thank goodness I'm through with it for every one of my kids. I found middle school to be tough and I have three different kids for all three for different reasons. It was like, I never had, I never felt like I had a great middle school experience with any one of the, my sons. So, yeah. you know, let that, so I think middle school is just the worst period. Um, and that's the, that's the time period where you have to really dig deep in your faith or whatever else is going to get you through yeah. and just understand this too shall pass, but you're going to go through it in middle school from the friends and the puberty and the, them, um, starting to have kind of like, I'm not going to say rebellious, but they definitely start showing like, you know, yeah, I was doing this therapy, but I don't want to do this therapy with John anymore. I don't even like John. And you're like, whoa, where is this coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Middle school is tough. I mean, the thing about most of these things is it's highly local and it's highly going to be based off of um, other parents and people you know to give you the tips and the tricks of what's going on in your area, period. Yeah. That's like a, with every kid, it's like, that's like been the best source is like, but what can I get in like, you know, San Mateo County, California, which is totally different when you're gonna get in Fairfax County, Virginia. Like, yeah. so it doesn't, you gotta like, you as a parent, you gotta dive into all of those groups. And there's so, the difference is, A, there's so many more now than when my son was in middle school. B, you have the internet, so there's no excuse, cause that's free. Like it doesn't cost money to figure these things out. Mm -hmm. um, and so that my advice is in particular in middle school, make sure you have the, the you've talked to all, especially it's really the parents, but you've talked to all the parents and educators who can give you the best resources and the best programs and the best whatever for your child. Because middle school is a very pivotal time. High school transition typically it depends on your area. I, you know, the schools have to kind of, they have to do a transition program. So you're, you're more forced to deal with that as a parent. Yeah. Um, and there, and this is the thing, man, you got to really, um, you have to decide. And, and sometimes this is hard for families. Um, where do you want your kid to be at 24 and 23? And is, and is this transition program that this county or this state like offering going to get him or her there? Right. And if they're not, you have to really decide, do you want to stay there? Yeah. And I hate to say it that way because it can definitely change. I will not, I'll put it to you this way. We moved back to California in 2014. My son was in the 10th grade and we started having conversations about the transition and what would happen when he was 18, 19, 20, 21, even up to like group homes. We started having those conversations then. We live somewhere else in another state where there were none of those conversations happening. Period. Yeah. It just weren't happening. Yeah. And so it does make a difference. Yeah. And everybody can't get up and move. So the reality, reality is if that is not um, something you can do, 
you're gonna have to start fighting and banding with other parents. I think these transition programs are getting better, but I just, I know there are certain places, plenty of places to be honest, in the United States where the level of services to transition into adulthood are abysmal, not even lacking, they're abysmal. Yes, yeah, I totally agree with you, totally agree with you. All right, so before we, before we leave, I understand that you're working on a documentary. Can you share a little bit about that with us? So as you know, I, I worked, I did a documentary right, on right. autism called Color My Mime with LaDonna Hughley, Tam McCrary, um, Donna Hunter, and um, Tisha Campbell Martin. Yes. Um, and what an amazing, magical documentary. We took it to Cannes, we won at the American Pavilion. We, you know, sold it to uh, Viacom, basically got shown a lot. And still to this day, people like to see that. And it's really a, a documentary. It, it stars Nicole Ari Parker and Blair Underwood as a fictional family. And it really talks about getting that diagnosis and that you have precious little time. Right. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I've worked on a, you know, you know I was in entertainment and worked for Debbie Allen. So I had, I'd worked on a lot of films and, and things in my, in my life. Um, what I will say is though, for me to produce something, it has to just be super personal for me to like get into it in that way. And this is another thing that I've gotten into very personal and that's back on my career. And it's really about inspiring young women in particular women of color to look at career paths that have them becoming board directors in particular, having the ultimate, what we call seat at the table um, on corporate boards. And so um, I've been fortunate enough in my career to become a CFO. I got on my first public company board um, back in 2021 and um, became an advisor to an organization called Black Women on Boards, who um, was founded by this woman named Merlene Santill and Robin Washington. And it's really been all about um, helping get this next generation of women on these boards and inspiring younger generation to even um, look at this as, as something they want to do. I think we honor this woman named Patricia Roberts Harris, who is not really, in my opinion, well known enough for her accomplishments. Yeah. She was the first black woman to be on the board. She was on IBM's board in 1971. We never learned about that in school. Wow. <laughs> we never learned about that. I've, you know, there's been plenty of black history month firsts. Right. I never had learned about that at all and so i mean i feel like she should be a, a a household name like so many others because of what she was able to accomplish in 1971 right. and so this film really tells that story through the lens of a lot of these black women getting on board it talks about what a board is why you should care about it and hopefully we'll you know one thing we know when i look back at like debbie's career and how let's take like a different world and how there is a direct correlation between the uptick in um, African-Americans going to college and in particular going to HBCUs because of a different world. When you can use a medium like that, it can actually impact what, you know, what people aspire to do for a living. Look at what Shonda Rhimes did with um, Kerry Washington and Viola Davis and both of those TV shows and how many people want to go to law school now that were women. We hope to um, start having more um, pictures out there of women 
who are of color in particular, but women too, right. who are on boards and showing that as like something that is normal so that you don't need a documentary. Like you don't need a, to talk about like this, this person got on because our numbers are so low because it's normal for the, for society to see it. So yeah. that's the board, that's the documentary. It's called On Board. We will premiere it this summer, more to come on that, but that's the next passion project. Wonderful, wonderful. Please keep me abreast. You gotta come back and talk about it. Would love to, love to bring my executive producer and our director with us to do let's, that too. Let, let's make it happen, let's make it happen. Thank you. We're out of time, appreciate you. Before we leave, is there anything else you want to share about being a, a mom of a neurodivergent individual? Uh, that you want to share before we go anything that I have anything to only thing to share is I wouldn't change it for the world I feel I feel blessed all right all right and I hear you I hear you totally agree with you totally agree with you um, it's not what I plan but I wouldn't change it now if I could thank you for listening to the Sonia Dunn show I hope you enjoyed our guest Shannon Nash to find more information about Shannon Nash, visit our website at soniadunn.com. Search for Sonia Dunn Show, guess. Until next time, may the roads that you must journey bring you to a peace of harmony.